0: Good morning. Well, hello there. Huh. Good to see you all. (laughs) Welcome. (laughs) It's like, well, uh, I don't know. Welcome to worship this morning. Whether you are on the internet, listening on radio, or um, gathered here, um, let us come in anticipation of expecting Christ this morning. Let us uh, begin to... Uh, turn our attention to God's presence among us uh, so that we might set our distractions aside so that we might be attuned to what the Spirit may have to say and to speak to us on this day. And so uh, I'm going to invite you uh, today, uh, the choir is going to lead us in our opening song as uh, we uh, celebrate Christ's presence with the light of Christ being brought in. And so... um, Thank you. I'm a little distracted today because y'all, y'all may not know this, but I am in two places at once. Uh, this is Annual Conference weekend, and so um, as we speak, Annual Conference is a meeting both in Springfield and virtually, just like we're doing as a church. They're meeting in person and virtually. And, um, and so uh, yesterday I participated in annual conference and this morning there was an annual conference worship service from 9 to 10. I was trying to listen to that, uh, but I had to take a break because I was afraid I would start uh, preaching Amy Thompson's message rather than the one that I had and my head was getting all muddled. Um, but as part of that worship service this morning... Um, they were acknowledging folks who were commissioned and, uh, and also uh, local licensed pastors who have completed the course of study. Um, now, Kobe uh, will be finishing course of study at the end of July, uh, but they read his name this morning, and he didn't have an opportunity uh, to come and to be in front of the folks at annual conference. So, Kobe, please come here. Uh, Dana, you come up with him. Because, um, as I am well aware, a course of study is not completed um, without support of a uh, family. Um, but um, I, I know he's not done yet. Um, but if they can read his name at annual conference, we can celebrate him being done right now, rather than waiting to the end of July. Anyway, he'd be expecting it then. This way, he's not. <laughs> and so. Uh, first of all, uh, can, can y'all just uh, stand and uh, maybe uh, put your hands together in appreciation for Kobe? And uh, then I'm going to invite you uh, to, to put a hand forward. Um, I would just have you all come up here and put your hands on him, uh, but we're going to do it this way. Um, and let us offer up this prayer. Gracious God, we are so thankful for Kobe and for the work of your Holy Spirit in him. We thank you and we celebrate this milestone that um, he is nearing, A- and we just uh, ask that you give him the, uh, the strength and then the encouragement to, uh, to finish it, A- and uh, we just ask Lord that you continue to pour out your Holy Spirit upon him, that he might uh, lead and guide the folks of this community um, so that um, we might connect with Christ, we might grow closer to Christ, and we might Go into the world to make a difference in the name of Christ. Uh, Thank you. Bless him that he might be a blessing to us and to this community. And bless his family. In Christ's name, amen. Stay standing. I didn't tell you to sit. Always oh, bossy this morning. Uh, stay standing, and we're going to sing uh, Help Us Accept Each Other. can be seated. We're going to continue our look at uh, a Gen- the first 11 chapters of Genesis, and uh, this week we're taking a look at uh, chapter... 11 verses 1 through 9, and um, this is a familiar story. Um, it, it's the story that we often refer to as the Tower of Babel. Does that sound familiar to anybody here? Yes? Raise your hand if you've heard that story before, right? Um, and um, it, it's a story we hear in Vacation Bible School all the time. And so, so how is the story generally told? Do you, do you remember? Like, like, we're often told, right, that... Uh, that people, people have one language and one word, right? Now I've done an informal survey and when I ask people, so what language did Noah and the first human speak? You know what 90% of people think? English, seriously, 90% of people will say, well, well they spell English, of course, right? Hmm, well, we could have some problems right there if that's how we read the story. Um, but um, uh, we, we often read the story as, well, uh, these human beings, they, they were awful prideful. They were, they were trying to build this tower to get to God. They were doing something really sinful in, re, in rebellion to God. And, and, of course, we often think God get, got mad, right? God got mad. And so then God uh, punishes them by causing people to to speak different languages and to be scattered throughout the earth. Well, as you might suspect, I I just want to challenge if that's truly what this story is about. And so I want to invite us to hear these words from Genesis chapter 11, one through nine. Beginning in verse one, it says, all people on the earth had one language and the same words. When they traveled east, they found a valley in the land of Shinar, and they settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them hard. They used bricks for stones and asphalt for mortar. And they said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the sky, and let us make a name for ourselves so that we won't be dispersed over all the earth. Then the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the humans built. And the Lord said, there is now one people, and they all have one language, and this is what they have begun to do. And now all that they plan to do will be possible for them. Come, let's go down, mix up their language there, so they won't so they won't understand each other's language. Then the Lord dispersed them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore, it is named Babel, because there the Lord mixed up the language of all the earth, and from there, the Lord dispersed them all over the earth. Everyone with ears to hear. May we hear the word of God this day afresh and anew. Now, you know, when I read that story, I I get how we can hear it in the way that I suggested. That's the way that I was taught the story. And in fact, growing up in rural Missouri, we had another in rural southeast Missouri, we put another twist onto this story. See, we saw this story as proof that God did not like cities, that we were all supposed to live in the country and and that those city folks were um, uh, um, they were heathens and pagans. Um, Now, now maybe y'all, I don't know, maybe Northwest Missouri didn't teach it that way. Maybe that's just a Southeast Missouri um, um, take on that story. Um, But sometimes we read into the story things that that may not be there. But I want to suggest that, um, especially if we look at the context of where this story is, I've always found this story to be interesting because if you look at chapter 10, and I know all of you read chapter 10 because it's a genealogy, and we love genealogies, right, with all the names. But uh, if you read chapter 10, it it gives a genealogy of Noah's sons, of of Shem and Jephath and Ham. And and it gives this this description of their sons, and and actually, unlike some genealogies, it describes them in terms of of the nations that they belong to. In in other words, and in chapter 10, there's this phrase that's repeated um, over and over, and it says something like, um, uh, these are the descendants of, uh, uh, of so-and-so according to their tribe, their nation, and their languages. And I've always found it interesting that in chapter 10, we're talking about um, uh, how diverse the world has become with different languages and different nations. And then in chapter 11, we go back to saying there's one language and one word. And so, um, I find that interesting. Uh, because often we tell the story as if uh, God uh, never desired there to be diversity, that God wanted there to be uniformity, that God desired that everybody would kind of be the same and speak the same language. But I'm not sure that that's the case. And so I just want to suggest that if we take a closer look at this, we'll see that the story is really divided into three sections. There's, a chap- there's verses 1 through 4, um, where we-, we hear about human intentions, and then in chapter 5 is like the turning point where God comes down, which I always find interesting because I didn't think God really needed to come down to see what was going on. I think that's for effect more than anything else. But the point is God takes a closer look at what's going on. And then in 5 through 9, we get this, uh, this passage that we've often read as punishment, but I'm not sure that's what it is. And, and so if we think about verses 1 through 4, um, there, there is no mention that the, that the humans are rebelling or sinning, you know, like in chapter six, um, we're told God looked down and he saw nothing but evil and corruptness everywhere. We don't hear that here. Uh, we just hear that, that these people have gathered together, that they have decided to build this city and this tower. And we're giving, um, when it comes to their um, intentions or the reason that they're doing it, we're given the reason It says that they feared being scattered. So the reason, often we read the story and we think, well, they built the tower because they wanted to be famous. Or they built the tower because they wanted to get up to the heavens and they wanted to enter God's domain and and they were going to challenge his sovereignty. That's often how we read the story. That's how we're taught the story. In fact, um, when um, Don was looking for lessons for Sunday school today, many of the Sunday school lessons, that's what, they were, that's what they taught. And yet the story doesn't say, the story says they were building the city because they had this fear of being scattered. They had this fear of the unknown, I think. And I don't know that, uh, it doesn't seem to me like they're in total rebellion to God. I mean, it seems like they're just doing what our human inclination and tendency is, isn't it? Our tendency is that that we like to gather with people who look like us and and speak like us. We like to gather with people who we we can communicate with, who we can uh, have a joint purpose with. uh, And we like to uh, build and and settle ourselves, at least most people do, um, and um, not have to worry about being pushed out or scattered into the world. That's our human tendency, I think. And I don't know that there's anything sinful or rebellious about that. And yet, as we read the story, it says God came down and God took a closer look at what they were doing. God took a closer look at this community of people and what they were up to and all about. And God makes this assessment. Um, and, and I've always found it interesting because it, it basically says, well, God looked at it and said, well, if we don't do something, uh, and, and how, it's been, uh, how I've often heard the story is, well, if, if, if we don't do something... If we don't do something, these human beings, they're going to be able to accomplish anything that they want to accomplish. And it almost sounds like God's afraid of humanity. Now, I read the rest of Scripture, and it's really clear that God's not afraid of us, right? So that can't be a right reading of the story. Uh, God is not afraid of us. And and in fact, if you look at it in the Hebrew, it it, it sounds as if really all God may be saying is that if he doesn't intervene, they're um, they're going to move toward this intention to which they're moving toward. And apparently, God doesn't think that that's a good intention for them to move toward and, you know, i got to scratch my head, and, and I admit I'm just speculating because it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't say in the Scripture exactly. But, but I, I wonder if, as God looked down on him, he's worrying and he's like, ah, man, they're developing this fortress mentality. They're developing this mentality where they want to protect themselves and build walls to uh, keep like-minded people together and to keep people who are different out. May, maybe that's what God is thinking. Maybe God's looking and he's saying um, um, th- th- these people, they, they are uh, afraid of the unknown. They're afraid to go into the unknown. Maybe God is worried that as he looks down at humanity, uh, uh, that uh, if we continue down that path, uh, that we might begin to participate in some oppressive uniformity. In other words, we we try to force and make everybody look like us and and agree with everything that we agree with. Maybe God is worried that if he doesn't intervene, that these people will get this idea that they are exceptional and they'll embrace this ideal of uh, exceptionalism, that they can do everything without God. I mean, I don't know. It doesn't say. But what it does say is that God looks down at them, and in essence, he says, he says that they have this wonderful ability to work together, and this is what they choose to do. This is what they choose to do. Whatever it was, and for whatever reason, it didn't seem to be in line with God's intention and what God desired for humanity. And so I I think as I read five through nine, the more I read this story over and over again, uh, I'm not so sure, uh, certainly I don't get the essence that God is bad. I may get the uh, idea that he's disappointed, like you might be disappointed with your child, you give them all these benefits, uh, and then you say, this is what they decide to do with the freedom they've been given. Um, and uh, so they might be, a little dis- he might be a little disappointed. And so I begin to read 5 through 9. Maybe it's not punishment or discipline. Maybe what God is doing is he's speeding up the process he had intended in the first place. In other words, when God gives them a different language to disrupt what they're doing and he disperses them, maybe that's God's way of communicating his intentions. You mean God embraces diversity? And God wants people to be scattered throughout the world? If we look at all of Scripture, I I think we we see that. We see this talk about unity uh, in Scripture, but when Paul uses it in talking about the body and how we are united as one body, he talks about it as we are united as one body with diverse abilities and skills and calling. It seems to me very clear that from the beginning, when God created the world and he created humanity, that he intended for us to be diverse, for us not to be uniform. He intended for us to go forth into the world, not just to congregate uh, uh, with this fortress mentality of protecting ourselves, uh, of wanting to, to be settled in everything and never having to risk or to step out into the unknown. Now that's a different way of hearing the story, isn't it? And I could be, you know, I could be all wet and all wrong. But maybe the way that I was taught it in vacation Bible school is the way we ought to hear it. But I I don't think so. I think hearing it in this way is just as legitimate as hearing it in that way. And in fact, if I think about that story, you, you, you know, uh, God wants us to have unity, but he doesn't want us to have unity in a way in which we have uniformity, in a way in which we um, have a forceful dominion over everyone, but he wants, un- he, he wants unity in the midst of diversity. And, and I can't help but wonder, as I, as I read this story again, and maybe it's because uh, I'm reading it at the end of the, uh, of the COVID pandemic, but as I read the story and I listen to it, and I think about things I've heard from other pastors in our community and throughout the world, even within the Methodist Church, and, and I've listened to pastors, and, and, and the biggest concern of many pastors in the midst of COVID has been, uh, we can't gather. We can't gather. Folks, the least of my concerns in the church is our inability to gather. The least of my concerns is that the church won't gather. My biggest concern is that the church will be unwilling to scatter. You see, we gather not just to gather and have this fortress mentality, not just to uh, become uniform people, not just to protect ourselves and keep. We gather so that we are inspired and empowered to scatter and to go into the world. My fear is that the church is too comfortable and settled with gathering. And in the midst of, uh, of COVID, we have been challenged to see ourselves differently. My biggest fear is that the church of Jesus Christ was unwilling to scatter and to go into the world and to meet people of diverse cultures and people who look different than us and to share The love and the joy and the grace of Jesus that we have experienced. My fear is that we, as we begin to gather together, will celebrate the gathering so much that we think it's the end point. It is not. We are. sent people. That's one of the reasons I love the United Methodist Church, one of the reasons I love uh, the way that we do things. We are a sent people. I am not called to gather with a community, I am sent to a community, to lead a congregation, to minister to all of the community. We are a sent people. God's intention from the beginning was that his people would go forth and would bless others. Next week, uh, we're going to take a look at the story of Abraham and we'll see that even more if the choir wants to come forward. But let us hear this story today in a new way. Let us ask ourselves, Are we participating in intentions that are purely our own? Or are we embracing the intentions of God? Are we willing? Are we willing to embrace and to go into diverse cultures? Are we willing to go wherever God might lead us? Amen. Let us stand and join as we sing, uh, Here I Am, Lord. page Debbie because we're going to sing the chorus to that song instead of the sending song. Uh, Tracy reminded me um, the youth are being sent this evening. How many of the youth are here that are going tonight? I don't know if we have. Okay, there we go. We got a few. We are uh, sending Kobe, Don, and uh, youth from our church and from Bethany and from Plattsburgh to do mission work in the community in Clinton County, both in Plattsburgh and here in Cameron. And so they're going to get a little flavor of what it means to be sent and to go and to do things with folks that maybe you haven't done things with before. And so um, <laughs> let us uh, celebrate that. Um, and, um, and, and I just want to offer, right um, do the ones who are coming come forward real quick? Come on. We'll do this. It's like, ah, man, I hate this pastor. Uh <laughs> He's always doing things to have us come up here and embarrass us. Um, uh, There are uh, um, 13 from our church, church. 14 from uh, this community, and 22 total, right? Have I got that right? Um, From um, the from all three churches. Um, So again, y'all, you already done this once today. (laughs) Hands forward. Um, Gracious God. Pour out your spirit upon uh, the folks that are here, upon this youth group as they begin this evening in worship. And then go forth tomorrow to be your hands and feet um, throughout Clinton County. Um, to to uh, simply love others with their hands and their feet uh, so that they might make a difference in the lives of other people. And as they do that, pour out your Holy Spirit upon them that they will know your presence and that they may be transformed as they discover the joy and the delight of serving others in the name of Christ. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. And now let's sing the chorus to that song um, as if we mean it when we say, Here I am, Lord. Can we do that?